All right, let's turn to Genesis chapter 12, to the book of beginnings. This is where it all started, folks. Book of Genesis. So tonight, we're going to look at one of the most important passages in all of the Scripture. And it's, it's essential if we're going to have a good understanding of the whole counsel of the Word of God. So tonight, we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis chapter 12. In this covenant, we'll see uh, the promise of a birth of a nation, the promise of real estate, the promise of land, and the promise of a blessing to the entire world, the promise of a Savior that would come. So in this covenant, we really see all of the Bible wrapped up here, all of the Old Testament, Israel, the land, and all of the New Testament, Jesus Christ. Now, covenant is a strange word. It's not a word that we toss around in our day and age. What it means is an agreement. It's an agreement between two uh, parties. It's a, it's a contract, which is the basis for a relationship. So God, he wants to have a relationship with us, and he does this through a covenant, which he himself initiates, example, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So not only does he initiate it, but he also stipulates the terms of the covenant, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God says to Abraham, Abraham, you're my man. I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. Do you agree? Do you believe? Abraham says, yes, Lord. I believe, and God says that's a covenant. That is the basis of our relationship. So tonight, we're going to look at this covenant, and we're going to see the amazing promises that God gave to Abraham, and we're going to glean some encouragement from that. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said, had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, And go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the first thing I want to point out is if you notice that six separate times God says, I will. I will. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I'm going to show you this land. And in verse uh, 7, a little further down, he says, I'm actually going to give you this land. And on top of that, all the world is going to be blessed through you. So this is a covenant of grace, an unconditional covenant that is dependent upon God's power, what he is going to do in and through Abraham, his will, 
his plan, his purpose, his power. So I'd like to break our study up tonight into three separate categories of promise. God's personal promises to Abraham, uh, God's national promises to Abraham, and then God's universal promise to Abraham, okay? So first, God's personal promises to Abraham, or Abram at this point. So God says to Abram, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so I asked myself, well, how did God bless Abraham? How did he make his name great? And so I was looking through the scriptures and I noticed a few things. One, he protected Abraham. Abraham had a tendency to put himself in bad situations. Two separate occasions, uh, he had to lie about his wife. He, 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 was, he was scared of the people that he was around. He was scared that they were going to kill him for his wife because she was a gorgeous woman. And so he told her, hey, lie. Tell these people that you are my sister, and that way you will spare my life. And so he did that. She lied, pretended like she was his sister, and the king who saw her would take her to himself. Well, then steps in God. Then steps in the grace of God and the kindness of God, being faithful to his promise to bless Abraham even though he didn't deserve it. And so on one occasion, God inflicts Pharaoh's household with grievous, disgusting diseases, his entire household, and rescues Abram's wife. And on another occasion, same situation, God appears to a man and says, you're a dead man because you have another man's wife. So God protected Abraham even though he did not deserve it. So Abraham was blessed in that way. Also, on another occasion, Abraham's nephew, Lot, was kidnapped. Him and his entire family and everything they owned were taken away when their town was ransacked by four different kings. Well, Abraham caught wind of that, and he gathered together 318 men of his own household, and they went after these kings, and they rescued Lot, and they rescued his family. You see, God, God protected Abraham in that. How did 318 men rescue uh, Lot and his family from four kings. It's nothing but the grace and the power of God. God preserved his life and God blessed Abraham. Now, we're not guaranteed as Christians uh, necessarily physical protection in this life. In the New Testament, all through the New Testament, we see Christians being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, we do experience it, don't we? I can think of several different occasions in my life. One, uh, with my wife, she was, she was dying. She, had, uh, she was bleeding internally. I thought she was gonna go. The doctor thought she was gonna go. We were praying and asking for the grace of God and he preserved her life. He protected my family. If he wouldn't have stepped in and rescued her, I would be a single dad today. I can't tell you how many times I've gone out uh, on evangelistic type missions with, with other men 
in the church and, and found ourselves in situations where I was thinking, I don't know if we're going to make it out of here. This is crazy. But then to be able to come home that night without a scratch on my body, nothing but the grace of God and the protection of God. I bet you can think of some times where God has put his hedge of protection around you, can't you? Now, the greatest and the guaranteed protection that we have as Christians is spiritual protection. God promises that we will be protected from the enemy. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, God's, the Bible says that God keeps us safe and the evil one can not harm us. He gives us a sword, the word of God, to be able to cut down the lives of, lies of the evil one. He gives us a shield of faith. He gives us a breastplate of righteousness, a helmet of salvation so we can defend ourselves. So God guarantees our spiritual protection. Now, the second way that I saw that God blessed Abraham in the scriptures is that God provided for Abraham. He had an abundance so much stuff, so much provision that at one point him and his nephew Lot could no longer dwell together in the same land. They had to separate. God had blessed him so much. And on top of that, God gave Abraham the humility, the ability to be able to handle that kind of wealth without it going to his head. He said to Lot, hey Lot, look, Whichever way you want to go, go. I'll go the opposite way because I'm just following God. He's got a plan for my life. I'm following him. I'm not going to worry about it. Now, we as Christians in this life are not promised riches at all. Nowhere in the New Testament does God promise to you, if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are going to be rich and have an abundance. No. Jesus tells us that if you're a Christian... God will provide for your needs, your food, your shelter, and your clothing. Although at some times he does bless us with an abundance. I remember a time a few years back, it was Christmas, and uh, we were pretty poor during that time. We had everything we needed, but we were pretty poor. And it was Christmas Eve, and we had one present, I believe, under the tree for each kid. Not much, but it was what we had. And then we got a knock on the door. My wife opens the door. It's two Christians that we know from Calvary Chapel, Petaluma, with a whole bunch of presents for me, my wife, and our kids. They blessed us with an abundance. God's grace just providing for us. We didn't even need it. He's just saying, I love you, and I want to bless you. So God blessed Abraham with provision, and he blesses us with provision. Now next, God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. 217 times Abraham's name is mentioned in the Old Testament and 75 times in the New Testament. His name is in the Bible that many times. That blows me away. It's fantastic. On top of that, Abraham is recognized by Jews as a man of God, by Christians as the father of faith and 
from people from other religions, like Muslims. They recognize Abraham as a man of God. Ask anybody in this world, what do you, who is this guy Abraham? And they're going to say, well, isn't he in the Bible or something like that? Everybody knows who Abraham is. He's known as the man of faith. He's known as the man of God. Now, for us as Christians, we are not promised a great name on this earth. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you give your life to Christ, you are going to have a great name on this earth. Quite the opposite. Jesus promised that someday we'll be hated by all nations for his namesake. What really matters for us is that we have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. That when God opens up that book of life on that day, that the name Jim Semish appears, or Elizabeth Semish appears, or Eric Martin appears, or Amanda Anderson appears, that is what really matters, that your name is in his book. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the greatest name on the earth. If your name isn't in that book, in the end, you perish. Revelation 20 says, I saw the dead small and great standing before the throne. Their names weren't written in the book, and they go to the bad place, to the lake of fire, the Bible says. When people remember me, or when people remember you, I don't want to be remembered as, oh yeah, he was the founder of Jim Semish International Ministries. I want to be remembered as a servant of Jesus Christ. When people think of me, or when people think of you, I want them to think about Jesus. I want people to think about his great name. I want to be a man who makes the greatness of his name, God is salvation, known to all the world. Now, the greatest way that God blessed Abraham was that Abraham, this, this former idol worshiper, got to have a relationship with the true and living God. Genesis chapter 15, God appears to Abraham and he says this, he says, I am your shield and your very great reward. The God of glory, the King of kings, the greatest privilege any person will ever know is Him. To know Him, to have a relationship with Him, to have Him in your life, it does not get any better than that. Abraham got that privilege. And we as Christians get that privilege as well. We get Christ in us, the hope of glory. John 17, verse 3, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what it's all about. Eternal life is about having a relationship with God. And that was Abraham's great blessing. Now, let's move on and look at point two, God's national promises to Abraham. He says, first, Abraham, I will make of you a great 
nation. This is an absolutely incredible promise considering the circumstances. Abraham was like 75 years old. He was an old guy. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) Unable to have kids. That was bad. (laughs) He was unable to have kids. And his wife, Sarah, her womb was as good as dead. As good as dead. Humanly speaking, this was utterly impossible. Impossible. How could, they, how could this promise possibly happen? Our God is a great God. He is the one who, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light and there was light he is the one who created all the birds the oceans the trees the mountains he formed us out of the dust of the earth and blew his breath into us and we became a living soul our god is a powerful god and he can't lie it's impossible for him so what he promises he accomplishes And so he says to Abraham, count the dust. Count the dust, Abraham, if you can. Or count the stars if you can. Because if you can, so shall your offspring be. It's going to happen, Abraham. It's going to happen, Abraham. Because I am God. I have promised. And I am able. God is a powerful God. So... In your own personal life with the promises of God, don't doubt him. Trust him. He is able and willing. Now, Abraham had a son. He had that miracle son. God supernaturally, powerfully stepped in there and gave him that son, Isaac. And then Isaac had Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons that we call the patriarchs. And then Jacob and those 12 sons and all of their families, 70 in all, find themselves down in Egypt. Over the course of 400 years, they multiply to the point where they are two and a half million by some estimations. A great and mighty nation that Moses led out of Egypt. Fantastic. Our God is faithful to his promises. And he says to, Moses, to, uh, excuse me, to Abraham in verse 7, I will give you this land from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and it's going to be an everlasting possession. Nothing you can do can take away from this promise. It's a grace promise. It's an unconditional promise. I'm giving you this land. It's to you and to your offspring forever. 300,000 square miles of real land with real boundaries, real trees, a real ocean, real lakes, real river, so on and so forth. Now, The most that Israel has ever occupied, 30,000 square miles. And I looked it up on the computer today, it's only 8,000 square miles. So, what does that mean? 
Does that mean that God is unable? Does that mean that God could not keep his promise, that he lied, that he was powerless? Does that mean that Israel forfeited the land because of idolatry or because they crucified the Son of God? Nope. Not at all. This is a promise that still waits its fulfillment in God's timing, in God's plan, which we believe will be fulfilled at the second advent, at the, at the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he comes back in flaming fire to establish his kingdom on the earth where he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. So these are fantastic promises that God gave to Abraham. Now here's what I love about Abraham. He didn't even see all these things fulfilled in his life. The Bible says that Abraham saw them and welcomed them from afar in Hebrews chapter 11. He's still wandering around as a stranger and as a pilgrim, as an alien in the land of Canaan when he died. He only got to meet his grandkids. That's it. He didn't get to see this great nation. He didn't get to take possession of the land. Yet he was a man who believed God. And this is why he was accounted righteous, because he had faith in God's promises. And this is why we are accounted righteous, by our faith in the promise of God. And this is why Abraham is called in the scriptures. This is a great title, a fantastic title. I want this title. The man of faith. Abraham is called the man of faith. And this is what we want to be known for, our faith in the promises of God, because it's our faith in his promises that pleases God, the Bible says. To be those who simply believe what God has said and then live our lives accordingly. God has promised to provide for me. So whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I praise him, I trust him. God has promised me a place in heaven. He said, it is finished. My place is secure. I believe him. He's got a place for me. I'm going there. God has promised through his spirit that I have power over sin, that I don't have to live this way, that I can live for God. I believe him. I'm going to live accordingly. I want to be a man like Abraham, a man of faith. Now let's move on and look at our final uh, promise that God gave, uh, the universal promise. This is a fantastic promise. And God said to Abram, and all peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. All peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be impacted through you. And Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, gives us the interpretation of this prophecy. It states that, that this promise was God announcing in advance to Abraham the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? This is an announcement 2,000 years before Jesus Christ ever became a man. 
God was announcing the good news of what he was going to do. God is essentially saying, Abraham, 42 generations from now, the whole world is going to be blessed because of the one who's going to come through you. I love that. What a fantastic promise that Abraham got to believe in. See, I get excited if God uses me to bless one person. <laughs> Abraham is getting used by God to bless the entire world. That must have had a profound impact on his faith. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 56, the words of Jesus, he's speaking to the Jews. He says, he says Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus says, not only did Abraham get to think of this great prophecy, to contemplate all the blessing that would be all over the world because of this prophecy, but he also says that Abraham got to see it, that he saw it and that he was glad. In other words, God gave to Abraham prophetic illustrations through his life. In other words, through the events that transpired in Abraham's life, God painted a picture of the one future event that would bring salvation to the ends of the earth, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. A couple examples. One, the ratification of this covenant that God gave to Abraham. Back in those days, to ratify a covenant or to make it good, to make it official, the parties would sacrifice animals. They would cut them in half, and they would lay one half of the animal on this side, one half of the animal on that side. And then both parties would, would walk between the sacrifice, and they would recite the promises of the covenant, obligating themselves to it. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, the ratification of this covenant, we see Abraham, God has told him, get the sacrifice ready. So Abraham has the animals cut in half, placed on this side, placed on that side, and he's waiting for God to show up to ratify this covenant. And he falls asleep waiting for God. And then all of a sudden, God shows up as a flaming torch. And he passes between these sacrifices alone, reciting the promises. Essentially saying, I alone am the one who is going to make good this covenant. Nothing that you do, it's going to be all me. It's a grace-based covenant. Well, in the New Testament, we have a picture of this under the new covenant, in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has just announced to the disciples that he is instituting a new covenant. And so we see them in the garden, and they're passed out, sleeping, sleeping, just like Abraham was sleeping. And then a little while later, we see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, ratifying this covenant, not with the blood of animals 
one on this side, one on that side, but with his own blood, one hand nailed to the cross here, and one hand nailed to the cross there. And then we see the flaming torch of the wrath of God pass through the pieces, dividing the sacrifice, splitting the veil of Christ's body. Now the way of God is made open to man. The covenant was ratified. Now the fulfillment of this prophecy has happened because Jesus Christ died. Now all the world can be blessed just through trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a fantastic promise. Uh, Final example of this, of Abraham seeing the day of Jesus and being glad, is in Genesis chapter 22, a very familiar story, the offering of his son. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to take him up to the top of Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him there as a sacrifice to me. And so Abraham takes his son Isaac, They're at the base of the mountain and he takes the wood for the sacrifice and he places it on Isaac. And Abraham has the fire and the knife in his hand and they go hiking up this mountain. And Isaac is laid out. Abraham has his knife raised. All along in the back of his mind, he knows the promise of God. He knows that through Isaac, this promise is going to be fulfilled. That all the world is going to be blessed. So he knows that Isaac, even if he dies here, that God is going to raise him from the dead. And so he's ready to strike. And then God says, no, don't do it. Don't do it, Abraham. This was a prophetic illustration of what I'm going to do. I am going to give my only begotten son. He is going to carry the cross with the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. And he's going to carry it to the top of Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, Golgotha. And up there on that cross, I myself, the Father, am going to pour out my wrath on him on your behalf. He's going to die for you. And then I'm going to raise him from the dead. So fantastic. God gave to Abraham a picture of the gospel in advance. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our gospel has been planned out from before the foundation of the world. God knew what he was up to. This should bring great hope and great great encouragement to your faith. That God knows what he's doing. He's a mighty God. He's a holy God. He's a gracious God. He's a kind God. We can trust him. Let's be the people of faith like Abraham was. Those who please God. Those who are known for making him known. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for Abraham's life for the great promises that you gave to him and then uh, the fulfillment of those promises in his life and then in our day, we see that fulfillment in Jesus Christ and then a future fulfillment in the land. 
Thank you so much, God, that you are faithful to your promises. You'll be faithful to us. We're so thankful to know you and to be in a relationship with you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.